God said, let there be light. Let us make man in our image. But the serpent was craftier than all the others, and mankind fell. Sin separated man from God. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He taught the truth with authority. He broke the bread. He poured the cup. He wore the crown. He was in the world, but the people did not receive him. The light went out. But he could not be defeated. He could not be contained. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, happy Easter. Wasn't that a great video? That wasn't pulled off YouTube. That was made by our own staff team. I think they did an awesome job. They had a little too much fun with the sword. But thanks to Phil and Tom and Don, we are blessed to have some creative folks around here, and we're blessed to have some really excellent snakes. <laughs> some of you are looking under your seats right now, right? Uh, hey, Easter is fun. I mean, can anyone think of a better holiday than one that's centered around candy? <laughs> right? I mean, as a kid, it was always fun, the Easter egg hunts and the Easter baskets and all of the sugar rush that you'd have as a kid. And months from now, we'll still be finding those long-forgotten peeps in the back corner of the cabinets, hardened with age, and just a little bit better than when they were new. Yeah? But as you and I know, Easter is much more than about candy. Easter is actually about Christ. And it's about an empty tomb. But the empty tomb doesn't really explain the purpose of Easter. Right, now, don't get me wrong, the empty tomb is certainly the climax of Easter. It's the climax of Jesus' story, but it's, it's not the meaning. To understand the meaning, you've got to understand the message of the one who walked out of that tomb. Now, here's what's fascinating about Jesus' empty tomb. When you think of world religions, and Christianity is a major one, but when you think of world religions, do you know that for every other world religion, you can today visit the grave of the founder of that religion. In fact, if you want to go to the Green Dome in Saudi Arabia on a little trip, you can find the bones of Mohammed. If you want to go to the cemetery of Confucius in China, guess who you can find? Confucius. If you want to go to the Manasuri Temple, also in China, you can find the bones of the Buddha. But if you ever want to visit the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, and I've been there too, you'll find that there is a grave with no bones. Because its only inhabitant was a 33-year-old Jewish rabbi who treated his grave more like an Airbnb. (laughs) He stayed there for three days and decided it was time to leave. And after his very public death, he was seen in the weeks afterwards by over 500 people who confirmed his identity. Now listen, there's a lot about Christianity I don't understand. 
And there's a lot in this 66-page book we call the Bible that I can't get my head around. But I'll tell you, if someone can predict his own death and resurrection and then walk out of his grave on his own power, I'm with that guy. I'm going to trust what he says. And if he has that kind of power over death, then I certainly can give him my life. And so Easter Sunday is about kind of figuring out the message of this man who walked out of his grave. What's interesting is that 2,000 years after he did that, and there are now 2.4 billion, with a B, people around the world who claim to follow him. And they love the Jesus story, but I have to ask, do they know the Jesus message? They love Easter. We all love Easter, but do we know the Jesus message? Because many religious people in Jesus' day didn't. And so what Jesus would do is he would tell stories to explain his message. And those stories would be embraced by people who were far from God. But the people that thought they were close to God really didn't like his stories. And really got angry at his stories. So today we look at three stories, all the same theme, that made some people really angry. And we're going to look at those. So if you would meet me in your copy of the scripture, or if you want to open a Bible app, or however you want to turn there, Luke chapter 15 is where we find these stories from the guy who walked out of his grave 2,000 years ago. Luke 15. And while you turn there, uh, let me briefly welcome all of our campuses. We're a multi-site church, and we have wonderful folks joining us up in Cincinnati this morning, and out in Bainbridge, and online. So why don't we here at Green give them all a warm welcome? Can we welcome all of our other friends? We love what God is doing in our region. You know there's a hunger for truth in upstate New York. We live in one of the spiritually darkest corners of America, and yet God is at work. Amen? Amen. The tomb's empty because Jesus is alive. So, as we look at this passage, first let me tell you that we begin today a new series called Parables, Stories That Messed Up Religious People. And each week we're going to look at a story or two, or today three, stories that Jesus told that didn't really fit what people expected him to say. Stories he told that busted myths that were commonly believed then and now. And Jesus seemed to delight in turning the world upside down. His stories the smart people of his day, but they were readily embraced and understood by the simple people of his day. So let's jump in. Verse 1, here we go. Now the Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Any parents in the room love it when your kids mutter? Usually it's muttering just so you can kind of hear it. And I think that was the case here. They're muttering this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, before we look at Jesus' stories, I want you to notice that there's a contrast that we have here. In Jesus' life, you have two types, two groups of people. And the people who spent their entire lives being moral, good, and religious, they disliked Jesus. But people 
nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. He didn't fit the religious mold. He didn't do what the religious folks expected him to do. And he certainly didn't say what they expected him to say. And he just spent far too much time with people that he shouldn't have been hanging out with. Which is why they're muttering. So the people that Jesus would hang out with, a couple of them are given here and we're told all through the gospel accounts who these people are. He spent time with tax collectors. Now, before you think these are IRS agents, they're worse than that. These, these tax collectors, they were intelligent people, they were greedy people, and they were sellouts to the Roman Empire. They were Jews, so they were hated by their countrymen for selling out their own people. And they would charge taxes on their neighbors at two to three times the tax rate. And you know what they would do with the difference? They'd pocket it, and no one could stop them. And so their neighborhoods would hate the local tax collectors, because they would drive them into poverty and into bankruptcy. And yet, for some reason, tax collectors couldn't stay away from Jesus. Prostitutes, these, these scourges on society who sold their bodies and were wrecking homes. And people, moral people of Jesus' day couldn't stand that there were so many prostitutes all around in every neighborhood. Selling themselves and ruining families and ruining marriages. And for some reason, these prostitutes could not stop crowding around Jesus. And the town drunks, the guys who lived their life looking at the bottom of a bottle, for some reason, they couldn't stay away from Jesus. And, and these people, the, the immoral, the marginalized, the oppressed, the outcasts, they felt at home near Jesus. And people kept questioning, why are you hanging out with them? Why aren't you calling them out? Why aren't you telling them to quit it, stop it? What in the world are you doing spending all your time with them? Now Jesus had some fascinating conversations with these people. But in the process of doing that, all these religious folks, all these good foods, are, they're looking in and they're, and they're muttering. And Jesus is really good at seeing past externals. I want you to know today, you look good, right? Jesus can see through your look, your Easter outfit, whatever the case may be. He sees through and he sees your heart. And that's the impressive, awesome part about Jesus, but it's also kind of the scary part about Jesus, is he can see through and he can see the real me. And he saw through the external piety of these religious good folks, and he's about to call them out. And he tells three stories that really get them angry. Parables to illustrate why he's here. Look at verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. A parable is simply a story with a, with a meaning. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. I can see him glancing at the mutterers who do not 
need to repent. And the lesson is clear as Jesus illustrates the story that there's one lost sheep, there's 99 found, there's 99 in the pen, and this one lost sheep is, is hopeless until his shepherd, his master, goes out and finds him. Doesn't just tie a rope around his neck and yank him back home, but puts him on his shoulders, walks home, and throws a party. So you can kind of imagine this scene. The other 99 sheep are looking like, why does that sheep get a ride on daddy's back? And he brings home this lost sheep and throws a party. And, and I can imagine the anger in the crowd rising. Like, I see what you're saying, Jesus, and I don't like this. You're pitting us against them. We're the religious ones. We're the ones that serve God. We're the ones that go to worship. We're the ones that do the right things. They're the ones who are messing up our culture. They're the ones who are immoral. They're the ones who are messing up this world. And you're somehow acting like there's something about them that's better than us. And they couldn't see past their jealousy. And Jesus' story meant to humanize this lost sheep. Meant to humanize the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the town drunks is instead viewed as an attack on these religious people. And Jesus didn't stop there. He told another story. Verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You notice Jesus keeps talking about parties, and these are parties in heaven. And they're parties in heaven when one lost sheep is found, when one lost coin is discovered. And Jesus here tells a story. He's not slamming the religious folks in this story. He's just telling everyone in the crowd could relate to. I mean, who hasn't lost something of value and spent a lot of time looking for it? Maybe today you lost your keys. Who knows, right? And, and you look for it and you look for it. When you finally find that thing, how do you feel? Relieved, ecstatic, you know, I, I grew up in a house where my mom frequently lost her car keys. And it would, it would commence a family search each time. And all of us would go combing through the house. We'd go combing through the yard, through the vehicles, any place we could find to find mom's keys. And you always wanted to be the one to find it because there was usually a reward. We got pretty good at it. It was a common occurrence. <laughs> and, we, and we'd be all excited to hear someone scream, I found it! I found it. And finally, one day, I think it was for Mother's Day, we bought mom a little key fob that if you clapped twice, it would whistle at you. Um, but it had to be within range of your clap. So then we'd be searching through the home and the yard and the car, you know, clapping. It was a sight to see. Um, when they came out with GPSs, we got her a GPS fob to put on her key that she could track with her phone. And it works really good unless you lose your whole purse with your phone in it. So all of us have, have experienced that, and Jesus is like, look, there's this search going on. 
this woman with the coin, this shepherd with the sheep, and when they find this thing that they've lost, they gather their friends together and they celebrate. It's a huge deal. It's a party. And Jesus is trying to tell them a truth, trying to tell them a significant story, a significant reason why he's here. And again, he knows they just don't quite get it. And again, he knows that the two crowds before him, the, the marginalized and the people nothing like him, are liking him more every story he tells. And the people that are a lot like Jesus are liking him less every story he tells. So he just goes in and tells a third one. And here's his third story, verse 11. He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my... In other words, I like you better dead, Dad. Right, just give me my inheritance now. I really don't care about you. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Awesome story. But then you get a little bit of muttering. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became, what's your Bible say? Angry. Angry. And refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My, my son The father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you see a theme with these stories? 
Everyone in this story is overjoyed when the lost son comes home except for the older brother. And like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, he just felt it patently unfair that Jesus would give so much attention to the one who was far from doing what he should be doing. Dad, you're rewarding bad behavior. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're just going to embolden him to go do it again. And the older son is a picture of religious people everywhere who stiff arm those who are trying to come to Jesus. Religious people really dislike Jesus. But people nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And what's interesting in these three stories is the sheep and the coin and the son were all lost beyond hope until someone took the time to search and find them. And what you need to know this morning is there, no matter your past, there is someone who is searching for you. And there is room here for you. And our prayer and our hope as a church is that we are always a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. We are never meant to be like a castle, protected and moated off from those who are different or not like us. We are meant to be like a hospital with our doors wide open and with EMTs who are rushing out of here going to rescue and find those who are hurt and broken. I want you to know that God is not surprised by your story. Many of us have a story. Some of us like our story. Some of us don't. Probably all of us have things in our story that we don't want to come up and share right now. Skeletons in our closet. But I want you to know that Jesus knows every part of your story and he's not scared off by it. Yeah, he hates your sin. But that's why he died. To forgive you and to pay for the consequences himself. And while he's on earth, he's, he's telling everybody, look, I'm on a rescue mission. I am here to seek and save the lost. I'm like the shepherd going to find the one lost sheep. I'm like the woman sweeping her house to find the one lost coin. I'm like the father waiting and watching for my son to come home. And when he does, I throw a party. That's the heart of the man who walked out of his tomb. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you. He was on a rescue mission. And we celebrate with peeps and jelly beans. Have you ever heard of a song called Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was, but now am, was blind, but now I see. Does it sound a little bit like the stories we've just read? The man who wrote that song was a man named John Newton. John 
His mom died two weeks before his seventh birthday. His dad was a stern captain of a ship. And so at 11 years old, he took his son out on the open seas to become a sailor. Didn't take John long to fit in. In fact, John did more than fit in. He could cuss with the best of them. And he quickly developed a life of drinking and cursing and profanity. At 18 years old, though, he was forced to join the British Navy against his will. So he tried to desert, and they caught him. He was punished with 96 lashes. And while in recovery, he was making plans to murder the captain of the ship and jump overboard and kill himself. He was not successful, and he later was sent to work on slave ships as a sailor. But what happened on those slave ships is interesting. He was such a good sailor that none of the other sailors liked him. Like he shocked them with his language and his lewdness and his behavior. And he was arrogant and insubordinate, so much so that the sailors finally had enough and they left him behind on one of their voyages. They left him down in, in, a, in a country in West Africa. They gave him to a slave owner, a, a wealthy African princess, who was horrible to him and treated him like her other slaves. He, before long, found his clothes turning to rags and he was forced to beg for any food. His father, when John did not come home, asked the sea captain to please search for his son and bring him home. And so for a long time, a sea captain was on a search to bring back missing John. One day he found him. He got him back on a ship and headed towards home. But on the re return voyage home, they got caught in a massive storm. It was so big that it blew a hole in the ship's hull. And kind of like John's life, it began to sink. And John, the reckless prodigal sailor son, realized he's probably not going to make it back to his dad. And in desperation, he prays a prayer, hoping against hope that there's someone out there, hoping against hope that if there is, that he'll even listen to a guy like him. After John prayed, something miraculous happened. The ship shifted in a wave. The cargo moved in the hold and covered the hole. And the ship made it safely back to land. John realized there is a God, and he cares for me. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. He would later go on to be a minister and he would pen what became Christianity's most famous song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And that song has become the anthem of the Christian faith. A faith that is about seeking and saving the lost. My friends, Jesus' mission, the reason he came and the reason he walked out of his grave is for one singular purpose. He came to seek and save the lost. Nothing brings Jesus greater joy. Nothing triggers a bigger party in heaven than when one lost son 
or one lost daughter comes home. You know what? Today, Easter Sunday, we would love nothing more than to cause a few of those parties to happen up there. Are you here today because you like Jesus, but you don't feel worthy of his love? I want you to know this morning, Jesus doesn't offer you his forgiveness because you're worthy. He offers it because he loves you. He wants you. He came to this earth to rescue you. He died and he rose again to seek you and to find you. The rest of this series, we're going to look at more stories that Jesus told. Stories that turned his world upside down. Stories that helped people who were far from God realize that maybe heaven was a little closer to them than they realized. And we would love to invite you to come back and hear more of those stories. But we would love to ask you to invite your family, your friends, to join you. Because i got to tell you, Jesus is too good to keep to yourself. Jesus rose from the grave so that he could seek and save the lost. You need to know that he is a God who's on a mission. He is a God who is in pursuit of lost people. And I don't know about you, but I was a lost people. I was like the peeps in the back corner of the cabinet that would have got hard and not gotten better with age. But I had someone who sought me and rescued me and found me. And I can say like John Newton, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Can anyone else say that this morning? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. My friends, let's never get caught up so much in the story of Jesus that we forget the heart of Jesus. Let's never get so caught up in in becoming more like Jesus and trying to lead a life that honors him that we forget the heart of why he came. Let's never get so turned off with the culture and the world that we push away the very people that Jesus came for. Because throughout Jesus' life, the people most like him disliked him and the people least like him liked him. And that's why our hearts must always be open to love the very people that we might dislike. And if Jesus could forgive them, then maybe I need to too. If Jesus would spend his time pursuing those who I I dislike the most, maybe I should spend a little time praying for them, caring for them, and pursuing them as well. See, the message of Easter is a message of redemption. It's a message of new life. It's a message of the launch of a Christian faith. But bigger than that, it's a story that simply is boiled down to Jesus loves to seek and save those who are lost. And my friends, there's room in his family for one more. Would you bow with me this morning? I want to let you know today that you can join the family of God. Maybe you're here in church because someone invited you and we're really glad you came. We're really glad you said yes. But you need to know that that there's a bigger invitation 
than the invitation to church, and it's the invitation to Christ. You can be forgiven of your sin. Jesus can wash away the stain of your past. He will forgive not just the sins you've already done. He will forgive the sins that you will do today and the sins you will do after. That's how good and great and big his forgiveness is. Because see, sin brings death. The consequences to our sin is very simple. The penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so today, I want you to know, you can launch a party in heaven today. How do you do that? The Bible's clear. You don't do anything. Jesus' offer of salvation is a free gift. He did all the work. He did all the work. He said, well, don't I have to keep going to church and be baptized and, and help old ladies across the street? Sure, like those are all good things, but listen, you don't do that to earn salvation. Jesus paid the price of your salvation. You do nothing other than receive his gift. The Bible's clear. You just have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And so today, if you believe in your heart that Jesus' tomb is empty, this isn't just some myth that we celebrate on Easter. It is a reality that in Jerusalem there is a tomb with no bones. If you believe that today and you're ready to make Jesus the Lord, the leader of your life, then my friend, welcome to the family of God. We invite you to use your mouth to confess that today, to tell someone before you leave, I believe I'm found. Jesus came for you. Now listen, if you're here today and you're already found, but a word of warning, don't be proud of your faith. Because the people in Jesus' day that were proud of their faith had misplaced faith. Instead, be grateful for your Savior. Don't look, don't look down on others who have yet to be found. Realize that Jesus is trying to rescue them and he can't wait to throw a party in their honor. Never forget that people, nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. Jesus is a rescuer, and he desires that every man, woman, and child believe and live forever with him. And today, Easter Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus is still living and still looking for lost people. Father, thank you that the grave in Jerusalem is empty. Thank you that Jesus is alive and on mission to find the lost and bring them home. God, forgive us for looking down on other people. Help us to join your rescue team. And may our lives be so consumed with sharing the good news that we can't help but bring others into the family with us. God, we want to join your team and pursue that lost sheep. We want to join your team and search the house for that lost coin. We want to join your team and look for that lost son. And God, we promise that every time you bring another home, we'll join the party in heaven and celebrate. We say this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.